You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. This week, in lieu of a movie review, we sat down with writer and director Eric England to discuss his filmmaking career. They're coming to get you, Barbara. We're on a mission from God. Sorry, did I break your concentration? Man's got to know his limitations. And they mostly come at night. Mostly. Let's put a smile on that face. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. This sort of thing has cropped up before, and it has always been due to human error. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian. I don't have Benson or Mr. England in here with me just yet. They'll be in here momentarily. But I just wanted to come on here real quick before we got the show started. And we got a great show for you here tonight. It's is This is really good. A lot of good information here. But before we get to that, I just wanted to say uh, there was a film that won Best Film in the Venice Horizons category at the Venice Film Festival. And that movie is free indeed. Some of the local filmmakers that we know worked on the film so we just wanted to say congratulations to those guys that is extremely awesome it's such a big honor uh we're super excited for those guys so hopefully it gets picked up for distribution and it will be coming where you guys can watch it somewhere like you know netflix or uh vod or you know i I haven't seen the film myself yet uh hopefully i'm gonna see it a couple months and uh maybe we'll have time well we can work in a, a podcast on that And again, congratulations to those guys. Super awesome. Now, some of you guys may not know, but our very first episode that we ever did on the Movie Crew Podcast, the first episode, we covered Contracted. Which, I mean, I I hadn't seen it at the time, but after seeing it, we we got really interested in Mr. Eric England. Uh, It was a very good film. uh, Really well done. So we reached out to him and we were able to get him on the phone. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy. With us tonight, director Eric England. Eric, can you say hello to Hey, you? how's it going? Dude, you were 22 years old, uh, correct, when you made Madison County? Uh, yeah, yeah, 22. Tell me, how did this happen? Um, essentially, I, you know, I went to film school, and then coming out of film school, I was really ambitious and really driven, and I was like, how, how do I make movies? And essentially, you know, leaving film school, the, the equipment was gone, the safety net of you know, money and student loans and all that crap was gone. So I was like, how do I make movies in the real world? And um, Daniel Dunn, who was the producer of Madison County, had recently bought, um, you know, a new camera system and, and all that jazz. So I was like, hey, I'll, I'll be your first client. You know, you can rent it out to me. And I was like, I'll let you shoot the movie. And um, I hired him to shoot my very, very, very first feature film uh, that's, that's never been finished and will probably, you know, I may release it someday, but I, I need to finish it first. But I, I shot this movie that I wrote, I directed, I financed it, I produced it, I, you know, I did craft services, like, I did everything on this movie, and it was called Hostile Encounter. And um, Daniel ultimately ended up watching the, the rough cut that we had, the unfinished cut, loved the movie, and, and you know, uh, or I don't want to say loved the movie, but, you know, thought it was at least confident enough to where he was like hey if i could um find some real money would you want to give a go at making a bigger film and what 22 year old filmmaker is going to say no to that so um i had like three ideas kind of floating around in my head and i had one or i want to say maybe like three or four like feature screenplays done at that time but um 
there was only one that really interested him, and it was Madison County, because I was actually trying to make Madison County before um, Hostile Encounter, which was kind of that experimental movie. And um, so, you know, I pitched him a couple of ideas, and one of them I was really excited about, but he just couldn't get his head around it. He was like, look, I really want a movie that has, like, a great marketing hook. And I was like, you know, uh, cool, let me go back to the drawing board and think about it. And he was like, no, 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 that Madison County movie you were always talking about. So, you know, I, I didn't think we had enough money to do Madison County um, at the time. And, you know, ultimately what I did was I, I, had, I took the script for Madison County and rewrote it and made it kind of fit our budget. And, uh, you know, a few, few months later we were shooting the movie. What was, your, what was the budget on uh, Madison County? Uh, the budget uh, was was around seventy grand, and um, initially, what happened was, you know, uh, Daniel came to me, and his parents owned a car dealership, and he was like, "Look, I think I can get my parents to either loan us the money or take out a loan, or you know, I don't really know the the, the details." But so, what happened was, in pre production, while we were trying to assemble the cast, trying to assemble the crew, like we were, we were three producers: myself, Daniel, and Ace Marrero. We were, you know, three young producers. We had never really done anything on this level before. I had made a feature film before, but I had never made, like, a real movie. And so, essentially, what happened was um, we we went out to uh, a town called Peru, and uh, it was, like, an hour outside of Los Angeles, and we took, like, 50 bucks or 90, like, 50 to $100, and we, we shot the opening of the movie or a variation of the opening of the film. We used that kind of like a promo trailer or a sales trailer to kind of show people and say, hey, look, we, you know, you should take us seriously, which is, you know, funny looking back on it. Like now I would never go out and shoot something for $100 and say, hey, look, take me seriously, you know. <laughs> um, but but as a, as a 22-year-old filmmaker, I was willing to do anything that I could, you know, if I could get the material on camera, I wanted to show it. So so we took that and we uh, I think we sent it to a couple of blogs and um, a few horror websites started posting it. And the next thing you know, we had companies reaching out to us saying, hey, we want to buy this movie. So we, we kind of like, uh, you know, cobbled together all these companies that were like, hey, we, we want to pay for your movie. And we kind of just kept them abreast, kind of saying like, hey, we'll, we'll show you the movie in a few months. And kind of use that as like verbal commitment to say, hey, look, at least we know we can make this much money off of this film. Kind of, kind of just secured our investment that way because you know when when you're able to present emails and and you know letters and things like that that are saying hey we're we're willing to pay you this much for your movie it's a little easier to get the the financing you know so um so we we were able to kind of use that to kind of uh, support our cause and that mitigated the risk a lot. Man, look at look at this guy. He's got some business sense to him. I like that, dude. You you have to man. Like this, this, yeah. this is called the movie business for a reason. Very true, sir. Very true. That is a statement I hear more than anything else. Let me ask you some questions real quick about just about Madison County. What what was like your your shooting day? Like how many shots did you guys get in a day? Um, it depends, really. I mean, you know, when you're shooting handheld, like I did, um, you know, Madison County and, and contracted, um, you can get a lot more shots. You can get in the world of like you know thirty to forty something shots. Oh um, my god! But when you, yeah, I mean, we were moving pretty quick, and we were only shooting one camera. I've never, I, up until recently, I've never shot two cameras. Um, so we were shooting one camera. The beauty of shooting something like Madison County is there's a lot of natural light, so we were shooting a lot of daytime exteriors um, outside with the sunshine and things like that. So we didn't really have to worry about lighting too much. It was really just, hey, show up on set, you know, rehearse the blocking, and then you know, roll cameras. So. We, we were very fortunate in that way, but we were also a very new crew. So it's like looking back on it, we could have 
we, we shot the movie in like 18 days and looking back on it, we probably could have shot a lot faster, but we drove like an hour a day to our locations. And, you know, logistically our movie was a nightmare. It was because we had no idea what we were doing. We were horrible at planning. And, you know, we, we, it's funny because when you look back at the early movies you make, at least I do, um, you know, ignorance is truly bliss. Cause you know, we pulled off some things that now, I would really question, like, can we do this? And, and you know, the, oh, yeah. the, 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 you know, the questionable nature of it comes in like, okay, we can pull it off, but is it going to be good? And it's like, that's where really I think a lot of time and effort goes into movies. Cause like there are things in Madison County, I wish, you know, I, I could have done better, but we just, you know, we had to deal with what we had to deal with. And then, um, you know, I, and I also didn't know as much as I do now, obviously. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, finding that balance of like, can we do this and can we do it the right way? And thankfully now I know the right way back when, you know, as opposed to back when, when I was 22 years old and I was just like, fuck it, let's just do it. You know, my producer and I were talking when we first started making movies, how, you know, getting the shot was just so important. Like we would do anything like ridiculously dangerous stuff to get a shot. And, you know, now that, you know, we're working in budgets and, you know, with an actual crew instead of just running around with a camera. You're doing it the right way, but he was, he pointed out, he's, I don't know, I kind of miss that get-it-done-any-way-possible ambition that came with being a 20-year-old filmmaker just trying to do anything. Yeah, totally. You know, that excitement of not knowing how to do it, but by God, you're going to figure it out. It's a bullheaded, stubborn type of mentality. It's like, we don't care if people say we can't do it you know, we're, we're going to go ahead and do it. And, and what I've learned is those people aren't saying we can't do it. They were just saying that it creatively, it's not going to be as good as it can be. Yeah. I've, I've noticed too, that like, I'll talk to a certain other 20 year old filmmakers now where they want to go straight to the, well, I need a crew. I need this dolly. I need this jib. I need this to get this. And, and trying to explain that idea of, man, you, you got you to gotta get what you can get, man. You got to have the ambition yeah. to go out and just do it. Be creative with what you got. You know, I, I think when you're younger, you think you need all these things that are going to make you look better as a filmmaker. But in reality, you just need to know how to use what you have. And when you're younger, you don't always know how to do that. So it's definitely, you know, uh, one of the greatest things I ever learned uh, from someone was like, you know, part of being a great storyteller is having a lot of you know, experience in life to, to tell stories. Like if you, if you've never been in a scary situation you don't know how to make something scary, you know, and it's like, it's the absolute truth. And I think a lot of young filmmakers fall into that trap where they're directing something. They, they're not surely, you know, they're not fully aware of how to grasp and, and, you know, and, and so they kind of go the long way and try to figure out how do we make this more exciting instead of how do we make this the best it can be? And that's where you run into people needing, you know, or wanting fancy tools and crap. Right. Uh, earlier ago, you were talking about mostly shooting Madison County during the uh, during daylight. Yeah. It was that just because of bu- uh, budget, or now this is something I've noticed that you seem to like to do a lot in your films. Is that you like um, to it, buck it, the trend? Uh, yeah. I, tr- I mean, I try to as much as possible. I mean, with with Madison County, like I said, I was pretty young and you know, ambitious and uh, slash stubborn filmmaker. So w- when we set out to make a movie, you know, that was kind of a slasher movie, I felt like I wanted to really try to break all the contemporary trends of slasher films. Like when people think of slasher movies, they think of like excessive nudity and teens having sex and like camps and, you know, woods and doing drugs and, you know, hillbilly killers and things like that. So 
you know, what I really wanted to do was I, and, and also a lot of that takes place at night. You look at a lot of the Friday 13th films, uh, except for the first one, you know, a lot of them take place at night and you look at movies like Halloween and scream and, you know, it's, it's, it's usually in the dark. So something I wanted to do was kind of take influence from like the original Friday 13th and the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and things like that, and really try to shoot the movie in the daylight as much as possible and also kind of avoid the cliches of like horny kids in the woods doing drugs and things like that. So, you know, I, I, I think at the time I wasn't, uh, you know, knowledgeable enough to pull off the ideas that I had. They were a little too over my head, but you know, for the most part, I think you can see the seedlings of the ideas. Like a lot of the kids in my movie, you know, don't necessarily fall into like, the the usual tropes and things like that and then um you know there, there's absolutely no sex in the movie there's no drugs there's no anything like that like it's a pretty you know dramatic straightforward narrative film that just happens to have like uh you know a slasher serial killer in it and so that's that's kind of what i wanted to do with it and looking back i think i should have taken a different approach but at least at the time that's what i was working with but yeah i mean i i tend to try and buck the trends as much as possible i mean you look at something like contractive and you know the ending of the movie is what a lot of people catch on to because you know we've seen that a million times but it took us a full movie to get there and that's kind of different for that subgenre. and then even something um as simple as roadside you know roadside is two people trapped on the side of the road and their phones their phones work the entire movie uh they're they have gas in their car the entire movie for the most part and then they uh they uh their cars running you know for the whole movie pretty much so you know it's it's like i wanted to try and set people in scenarios or set characters in scenarios that went against what we usually see them in because it feels like most of the time like characters just running up against obstacles and walls which i get is drama and drama is what makes you know stories interesting but i at least wanted the audience to be aware that hey i'm i'm an audience member as well i i watch these kinds of movies and i like them so i want to see these characters do something different and give them a fighting chance so that hopefully the audience would be able to at least relate to them and and they wouldn't have the opportunity to say oh well their phone would work or you know i would have filled up on gas or i would have done this you you know something like that so it's like i wanted to make sure the audience didn't didn't feel that way and they could relate so the story is about this the guy who's been interviewing this writer, and there's sort of a mystery around who this writer is and the mystery around the town. So you've already yeah. kind of set up a story. I always enjoy movies, horror films that have a story that could happen that's interrupted by the horror story. Let me ask you this question. This is a, this is a problem um, I hear from a lot of first-time filmmakers. Casting. How did you find your cast? Are these people you already knew? Did you hold auditions? Um, yeah, I mean, on Madison County, we held auditions. That's how we found, uh, the core group of the four cast members. And then Ace Marrero, who plays Brooks' brother in, in Madison County, um, was a producer on the film with me, and I knew him since film school. Um, and he was also in Hostel Encounter. So we had a relationship together. And then basically, he brought people to the table. Like, a couple of the side characters in Madison County were people that I had known or met on previous films or, you know, in previous auditions or things like that. So it was kind of a, you know, kind of a, a smorgasbord of, of just different, you know, uh, interactions and relationships. But that's, I think that's what ultimately helped make it feel more like a family. And I'm, I'm pretty close with most all of them to this day. Um, same thing with Roadside. Roadside, you know, uh, the entire cast, except for three characters, are all from uh, 
Madison County. Um, so, you know, like once again, just bringing it into the family and then, um, uncontracted, you know, a cast of friends I'd never worked with before up until that point. And, um, Matt Mercer, who was from, uh, Madison County. So, you know, just kind of keep it in the family again. And then you use those people's relationships. So, you know, in a lot of ways, my, my earlier movies are kind of like glorified backyard films where we shot it in people's apartments and people's houses and, um, you know, things that we knew, things that we knew we could get for free and things that we felt like we could use to, you know, give ourselves or give our movie production value. So it's definitely, definitely a very tight knit process. I know for me, like working with actors or crew members that I've worked with before, uh, the communication is a lot easier. I pause a lot while I'm, while I'm talking. So it's, it's, it's cool that I have some actors that can just go, Oh, I know exactly what you're wanting. Yeah, <laughs> but it's because you know you build yeah, that relationship and that trust between the, you know that's back and forth, and, and that trust is important. You, you definitely have a rapport, and those people you know can almost finish your sentences for you. And not only is that effective on set, but it, it really helps you kind of speed the process up along, which I think is really important on a low budget film. So this is like your first. This was your first movie that got a big release. How did you guys yeah. go about that? Um, like I said, a lot of companies were reaching out to us from the very beginning. So they, they all wanted to see the movie. And, um, you know, this is a different time. This was 2010, 2011. And that's right at the end of the big DVD. Uh... Yeah, exactly. I mean, Madison County made most of its revenue on DVD. So, you know, it was right at the time where DVD was still, um, you know, something to lean on a little bit. And so a lot of companies reached out to us, kind of seeing the movie as like a limited theatrical or restricted DVD film. Right. And, uh, you know, so we, we kind of took that wave and ran with it. So thankfully, you know, I, I have one of those rare stories where we didn't, I don't want to say we didn't have to work hard because we certainly had to work hard. We took a lot of meetings. We showed the people a lot of movies. We had a lot of doors slammed in our face. But ultimately, you know, in the independent world, uh, you know, the, the movie was pretty well received, at least by the buyers and distributors because of, uh, you know, the serial killer, Damien. You know, it's a very iconic image. And, you know, they were able to put that on the, the DVD and sell it pretty well. So, you know, uh, they, they kind of tracked us down and, and, you know, things kind of took off from there. So, you know, and, and it was really important for us as first time filmmakers that we didn't have a sales agent on this movie right away because we really wanted to go through the process all on our own and kind of see the ups and downs and, you know, really get a feel for it. Cause we knew if we had a sales agent, they would kind of take a lot of that off our, off our shoulders, which is nice now, but at least now, because we've gone through that experience, the producers know, you know, for whatever films they do or whatever films I do, we now know what that process is and know what to look for in that process. So it was a very invaluable experience. Well, and it also helps, too, that you know what's going on so you know the sales agent's not being untruthful about some things. Yeah, and I mean, every young filmmaker is going to get taken advantage of. That's just part of the process. But, you know, if you can limit the amount that you are taking advantage, all the better. I mean, heck, when we, we sold live animals, like, I think we we sent like twenty thousand units out to Blockbuster. Um, yeah, that's not going to happen anymore. Are are no. you, are are they relying more on VOD or like what's the, what's the process now? Com- contract yeah, compared I mean, the, to Madison County. Well, I mean, contract. I mean, it, it's tough to compare those two films because um, contracted was such a VOD driven film. It had a really great marketing hook. And also it was just a little bit, I don't want to say a little bit. It was a lot smarter. It was a much smarter film And Madison County really relied heavily, um, on DVD at that time. So 
you know, uh, Redbox was a big um, supplier of Madison County. I want to say Blockbuster was still around, kind of in their final stages in, in 2012, 2011. Um, so they, they bought some, but yeah, I mean, DVD was still the main focus for, for a film like Madison County VOD, um, was okay at the time, but it wasn't the biggest avenue, but I mean, over the last two or three years, VOD has completely changed the landscape. I mean, with, with contracted, I mean, they didn't make near as many DVDs of contracted as they did Madison County. It was almost on a, on a like per purchase basis where like if people ordered the DVD, they would make it. So a lot of the revenue from contracted came in digitally from BOD and iTunes and Amazon and things like that. So, um, I mean, it completely changed the landscape, which is great because, you know, the cost of getting your film out there is a lot less. So the distributor fees are less and things like that. And you, you can kind of understand what your target demographic is. Whereas, like, with Madison County, we kind of shot it hoping that we were going to get a theatrical release because, you know, VOD wasn't as big at the time. So we knew we were either going to be a theatrical film or a straight-to-DVD film. Like, we always planned for straight-to-DVD because we had no money. But we shot the movie just in case, you know, someone felt it had the potential to go into theaters. So, you know, you kind of had to plan for both worlds, whereas now it's nothing but massive tentpole movies and indie films. So, you know, it, it's a little easier to kind of understand what your demographic is. Yeah. Are you a fan of the uh, VOD release strategy? Um, I am. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it works. But at the same time, I think it's a double-edged sword because there are a lot of films that I truly would prefer to see in a movie theater setting. And, you yeah. know, they're not giving, they're, they're not being given the time of day because the distributor doesn't think it's worth it. And a lot of it really comes Amen. down to the marketing more than anything, because distributors think that it takes a lot of money to get people to go see a movie. And while that's not necessarily false, I think that there's a smarter way to do it. It just takes a little more legwork and a lot of executives and distribution companies aren't willing to put in the legwork to get people to go see their movies without spending money. Yeah, so you went you went from Madison County here and then you did uh, a roadside. I, the first thing that I just wanted to talk about was that uh, that chase scene in the beginning. Man, how did you guys pull that off? Uh, the chase scene? Yeah, the very beginning where um, the the redneck guy that we don't see that very much of. And they have this little kind of dual moment in the very beginning. Yeah. Basically we just, uh, you know, we shot a poor man's process. We were in the back of a truck, um, shooting, shooting the, the SUV, chasing the truck. And then we would get inside the SUV. It was really just very strategic angle choices. And we actually shot that over the course of like four hours or something. So it was actually, you know, I, I'm actually really not that proud of it, but um, I'm glad I'm glad you find it uh, effective because it was definitely a pain in the ass to film and an even bigger pain in the ass to edit. But yeah, I think it came out effective enough. But it was definitely not something we strategized a lot about because we knew we didn't have the money to really pull off a proper kind of truck chase. So um, we, we were really nervous about like bumping cars and you know getting scratches or wrecking them or driving too fast. So. There were, you know, we didn't have a stunt person. We didn't have anything like that. So it was just all a bunch of, uh, you know, 23, 24-year-old filmmakers in the back of a uh, truck or an SUV just hopefully figuring out what we were doing the correct way. And I imagine it's got to get tough, like, just trying to visualize. Because you, you said you shot that poor man process. So you guys were, you know, you're in a car. And then you also have to shoot the exteriors with the actors moving in the car. That's got to be tough getting yeah. all of that straight in your head. Yeah, it absolutely was. And and actually a lot of the stuff where they're inside the car, that was all shot inside of a garage. So like 
you know, some of it we're shooting live, some of it we're shooting in a, you know, in a garage, some of it the car's moving, some of it's not. Like, it, it was a total, total nightmare in terms of filming. Like, I, I basically shot everything knowing I needed, you know, knowing what I needed to get and just hoping I could figure it out in the editing room. And, and editing took forever, so thankfully we had what we needed. Now, do you edit your movies yourself or do you have an editor? I wish I could edit myself, but I, you know, there's, there's two reasons I don't One, I'm just horrible at editing and it would take me, you know, 20 years to edit one film. And also the other reason is because, um, I, I truly believe that film is a collaborative effort and I'm a big believer and fan of that. So, you know, I, I've already written every film that I've directed. That's not necessarily something I want to do. A lot of it's been out of necessity. Like, I'm the only one who, you know, had written a script or could right. write a script or something like that. So, like, I, I wrote the scripts on necessity. But, um, you know, I ended up producing them. I ended up directing them. I was very involved with the casting. I'm very, you know, I'm very hands-on in all aspects. And when you're doing a low-budget film, it's basically exactly what you say within reason, you know, for the resources that you have. So, you know, you're you're not asking for something that you necessarily can't get, or you're not asking for something outrageous. So, you know, when it comes to doing something like editing, like editing is almost like uh, another writer coming in there and rewriting things. You can change the editor around a million different times and have a million different movies. So, for me, I look at it as like if I controlled the editing, like not one, not only would I just be doing exactly what I know how to do, but what I want. And I think like it helps to be objective and come to your movie like a viewer and say, Hey, what makes this interesting? What makes this boring? And that's a lot easier to do when someone else is cutting your film as opposed to you. So when you went from, uh, Madison County to roadside, what was the, uh, thought process from going, you made a slasher. Now you're going into this like Hitchcockian thriller. What was your, your thought process moving forward? Um, I mean, really my thought process was I didn't want to repeat myself. I didn't want to do the same movie over again. I mean, if you really pay attention, you'll notice that Madison County takes place, 99% of it is, um, you know, in daylight, and then Roadside is completely at night. Um, So it's like, I I wanted to just do something that felt really different. Madison County had a lot of different locations, a lot of cast members, it was a lot of moving around. Um, Roadside's almost the exact opposite. It's static, um, you know, the camera work is completely different, it's less characters, it's in one location pretty much, you know, so it was just doing something completely different. I wanted to do something that felt aesthetically different to challenge me to show a different side of me. And, um, also just something that, you know, appealed to a different sensibility of what I wanted to do. That, that had to be a bitch shooting that much at night. Yeah, it definitely didn't, uh, it, it definitely didn't make it any easier. That's for sure. I personally like shooting at night. I shot a lot of get the girl, my next movie at night. Um, and I don't know, I, I like it because I feel like there are less distractions, you know, ultimately when you're, when you're shooting a movie and, you know, you call cut, your actors can walk away and get on their cell phones and things like that. Thankfully, when we were shooting roadside, we didn't have cell phone reception. So we kind of felt like we were in the middle of nowhere because we really were. And then, um, you know, but that, that's also a pain in the ass because when you're shooting in the middle of nowhere, you can't just like call people up and say, hey, we need food or we need this. So, you know, logistically, it was really tough, but, um, you know, it worked really well for the aesthetic. You had mentioned earlier that Roadside is the one you felt like you probably went insane the most on. You want to get it? Do you mind getting into that a little bit? Because yeah, I, I mean, it, it it had to do with several things. Like, I think we really underestimated the movie. We it, we shot the movie in like fourteen days, so we we had a really really ridiculous schedule. Rock and um, roll, man. Yeah. Um, 
we, you know, for, for about 80% of that, we were on the side of the road in the same location. So it felt like we were shooting the same movie over and over and over. And we were really underprepared. We were really understaffed and undercrewed. And um, the conditions were nightmare. Like, it would be raining some days, and the, the weather wasn't as hot as what it should have been. Or, I mean, the weather was hot instead of cold. Um, you know, so we, we really had to struggle to fit what we wanted on the screen on the screen. And we had some crew issues. It was just something we really, really underestimated. So it was just a really, really tough shoot. Did you say uh, it was hot? Yeah, it was hot. Uh, the last two days of filming, we actually had pollen on the vehicles. What did you guys do with the uh, – because the, there's snowing in one of the scenes. Is that digital, or did you guys have some stuff else? Um, yeah, we, we had fake snow that we actually laid on the ground, and then we had fake snow that we blew through the sky in a couple scenes. Um, but, yeah, the rest of it's all digital. Oh, nice, man. So I, where, I where, where did that. that story idea come from? Do you have um, any, like, story- inspirational writer moment where... Yeah, I did, actually. Um, I was with my dad, and we were we were driving through, um, actually, to my grandpa's place where we shot Madison County. And along the way, um, we were driving on this dirt road, and there was a tree that had fallen in the middle of the road. And my dad got out to, like, move the tree. And I was, I was sitting in the front seat of the truck, and I think, like, a squirrel or something was off to the side of the road in the trees. And, like, ran away as soon as my dad, like, laid the tree down. But I saw my dad, you know, I couldn't hear the squirrel. So I was just stuck inside the, the vehicle. And I looked at my dad, who was, like, staring into the woods, like, trying to see what made that noise. And suddenly I just had this entire image flash in front of my head. And I was like, how terrifying would it be if, like, someone was talking to my dad and I couldn't hear them or I didn't know what they were saying or, like, you know, basically he couldn't move because someone was like, hi, I have a gun on you. And that's kind of where the entire idea came from. I was like, that would be really terrifying because this was, you know, it's just me and my dad. I was like, I hadn't, you know, nothing. I didn't plan for anything scary to really happen. It just, you know, we, we came across this log and we got out because we needed to drive past it. and It was blocking our way. So we just got out of the way to move it. And the next thing you know, my dad's staring into the woods like, like he saw something. And I was like, that, that instant, you know, moment just terrified me. And that guy, that actor had a really good voice, man. I saw you were uh, uh, yeah. I saw, I saw you were a real big uh, fan of Scream. So, yeah, you know how important voices are there, huh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think voices are you know, especially when you don't see the person, they're they're essentially another character. I saw that Roadside. Now this came out the same year. Now it was it was released the same year as Contracted. Was this sitting on a shelf for a while? Did you guys have a hard time getting it released? Yeah, Roadside sat on the shelf for a really long time. I, I shot I shot Roadside. Um, actually in 2011. So and it didn't come out until 2014 or 2015 or whatever. So, um, yeah, so it was on the shelf for a really long time. Why is that? Um, I mean, a lot of it came from um, us wanting to do something different with the release strategy and then ultimately, um, you know, not being able to commit enough to that idea. And, and, you know, when you make a movie, especially coming off something like uh, Madison County, you have a movie that has like a killer with a very iconic mask and things like that. And then you move to a movie that doesn't have an icon at all. And it's just two people on the side of the road in a car. And it's not as marketable in terms of like the people involved and things like that. So distribution, um, we had people who were interested in it, but we just didn't know if that's the route we wanted to go. And that was the thing was, it was just a weird movie. We had a lot, we had people, um, ask us if we wanted to like sell it and remake the film. We had people who, 
you know, some people wanted to put it in theater, some people wanted it to go straight to DVD, and we just kind of didn't know what we wanted to do with it at the time. So we still had some post work to do on the film. The visual effects took a really long time because we didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot of money, and our visual effects guy, Les Galusha, who is incredible, he's based out of Arkansas. Um, you know, really did us a solid favor and, and really knocked it out of the park with the visual effects. And a lot of that relied heavily upon him. And, and in my opinion, he saved our movie. He did our opening credit sequence. And, um, you know, like, I, I think he really elevated the movie to a place where I was, you know, happy with it. So it was just a distribution challenge, a post-production challenge, and just finding the right timing. And then after Contracted came out and did really well, um, the distribution channels opened up a little bit. So, you know, people started asking about it, and it just felt like the right time to finally kind of unload the movie. Man, dude, I'm glad you brought up those those opening titles, too. Those are so fucking kick-ass, dude. Oh, thank you. I, I like the I like the end titles as well with, like, the, the road sign stick figures. Those were made by a different person, but I think they're equally as good and effective. Uh, that person's name is Ian Blewett. He... He really did a great job, and you know he, he was really committed to those. So I appreciate Les and Ian a lot. Yeah, I, I like the first one. Uh, the opening titles feel very psycho, and the closing ones feel very like um, what's that Spielberg movie with DiCaprio where he's uh, yeah, Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, yeah. those were, those were both um, aesthetic references. So I appreciate you picking up on that. Oh man, yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, I love like opening titles. I love like I love Bullet. Oh, I love the opening title with the words. Oh, I love all that stuff, man. Yeah. Contracted. All right, so yeah. you wanted to do something different, obviously. Yeah. What was the writing on this one like? Where did the idea come from? Uh, your perspective on what you wanted it to be? Yeah, I mean, the idea really came from me wanting to do a movie that was about vulnerability. And I felt like, you know, someone capturing a disease and being stuck with it and feeling helpless felt like it's something that everyone in the world could relate to, potentially. And then, you know, I was really experimenting with doing something a little edgier. You know, Madison County and Roadside, I think, were really good, you know, director exercises for me. Like, they showed that I knew how to pull off a scene, and I knew how to accomplish, you know, certain techniques, and I was able to, um, you know, make a movie that could get distribution. Um, so, with Contracted, I really wanted to experiment with a different aesthetic. Um, it's very handheld, like Madison County, but... You know, it's a lot more intimate. The storytelling is completely different from those other two films for the most part. And, um, you know, I wanted to do something that felt a little edgier. So I, you know, and, and edgier is really my kind of forte. That's, that's my, you know, that's something I gravitate towards. And I wasn't able to really express that as much on Madison County and Roadside. I don't know. I mean, I would say a lot of it was because I wasn't brave enough to. I, I didn't feel confident enough in my abilities to really stand out. So with Contracted, I really kind of wanted to make a statement, say, look, this is how I tell stories. This is, you know, closer to me as a storyteller in terms of like, um, you know, who I am as a person, because um, Contracted was probably the one movie that I went into with the least amount of references. Like the, the films I referenced were really other indie genre films like uh, Lucky McKee's May and Paul Solitz Grace, and, um, uh, you know, Dead Girl from Marcel Sarmiento, and, um, you know, A Horrible Way to Die by Adam Wingard, and, and, and Darren Aronofsky with movies like, you know, Black Swan. Like, I really looked at these movies that were very artsy, but edgy. You know, they had edgy stories, but they were artfully done, and they had great artistic, intimate camera work and things like that. So when I applied the idea of, like, sex and horror, it just kind of really jumped out at me. And, and I had no idea what she was going to turn into. Like, at first it was, you know, a vampire, and then it was a werewolf, and it, it went through a million different things. And then ultimately it just kind of clicked together. And 
you know, in, in terms of like what was written and what got on camera, I would say it's my most um, accomplished and successful film because I wrote the screenplay around, you know, every element that's in the screenplay was essentially something I had in mind, like everything down to, you know, her car and what she wears and right. um, the houses we shot at. Like those were all my friends' apartments and houses and, you know, locations that I had been to before and locations I knew we could use. So it, it was really me just saying like, hey, what elements do I have that I could, you know, put this character in that I knew would work? You know, it's like if, if I would have, you know, had access to like a shopping mall, she would have gone to a shopping mall, you know? And, and then I'm sure everyone would have really looked into it and be like, oh, this is an homage to like, you know, Dawn of the Dead. And it's like, no, it's just that's what we have, you know? So it's, it's interesting when people make up these in, incredible theories and things on, on the metaphors and themes of the film. Like, I'm sure subconsciously they were all there, but at the end of the day, I really just wanted to make, you know, an evocative story that evokes emotion and, and, you know, feelings for the audience, but also entertain them at the same time. I do have one question, though, about the movie. Yeah. The op- Explain the opening scene. Oh, wait a minute. Do we really want him to explain that? Yes, I want that's to know. Like, that's like explaining the end of the thing, man. We'll, we'll cut know. it out. We'll cut it out. I want to know. Oh, I don't know if I want to know. I may take my headphones off for this one. I want to know. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna explain it. I think you know, ah. if, if you really want to look into it, it's all there, man. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I think we debated that for like an hour after we watched the movie. Here's like, the thing: oh, it is could I, mean I had, this, and I it could had, be I've this. I've had a lot of people ask me what the beginning of the film means, and it's funny because if you're if if it's the gross like if it's the version that you're like oh, I don't know if it's that, it's probably that. <laughs> So what Eric England is saying, ladies and gentlemen, is don't have sex with corpses. You'll start the zombie yeah. apocalypse. Yeah, essentially. Do you run across this a lot where, as the writer, you thought this was going to be a great idea, and then you get on set and you, you kind of have to change it? I um, mean, as ha- having done four movies now, I think I've kind of, thankfully I've gotten past that point where I've written something and I'm like, shit, this just doesn't work out now. Because, like, I almost won't write something if I don't know if it's going to work out or be executed the way I want it to or just work out. So, you know, so like on Madison County Roadside, I totally ran into that. I ran into that a ton. I mean, I think I ran into that a little bit on uh, on Contracted, but on Get the Girl, I really didn't run into it. It, it was kind of one of those things where I, I had enough pre-production time and I had, you know, a solid enough crew and cast where we were able to kind of really do everything that I wanted for the most part. We, we weren't able to oh, cool. pull it off to the, the, the limits and the extent that I wanted to maybe, but at the end of the day, we were able to pull everything off in the screenplay, at least on a competent level. What can you tell us uh, about uh, Get the Girl? I mean, you know, th- there's not a ton I can say, but I mean, ultimately, uh, it's similar, you know, what, what I said, it, it, it's a fun movie, it's got kind of a romantic love story. I mean, ultimately the movie is a kidnapping gone wrong movie, but instead of just being a normal kidnapping film, um, it, the guy who kidnaps the girl or actually, you know, conspires to kidnap her and stages the entire thing. Um, he's in on it, you know? So it's, it's basically a guy who's in love with a girl who wants to get her attention and really sweep her off her feet and make himself look like a hero. And he hires someone to kidnap him and the girl and make him look like a hero, you know? So, it's it's a really weird story, really dark, but a lot of fun. And you know, it, it was written to be kind of uh, just a crowd pleasing type of movie, some somewhere in between, you know, movies like um, Cheap Thrills and and You're Next. You said you have a passion project you want to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a couple. I mean, one of one of them's actually getting made uh, next year. I think it's, it's a screenplay I'm attached. I can't say much about it right now, but. 
Um, you know, I have a couple other ones. I have I have one called The Sirens, which was announced. I was uh, going to shoot that movie right after Contracted, and things fell apart. Um, I have a lot of people who want to make the movie, but it's just a matter of finding finding the right fit. And then um, I have another screenplay um, that's never been announced, uh, but it, it's kind of like um, my scream. It's a whodunit slasher film, and once again, really fun, great story, great characters, and you know something that I'm really excited to uh, to tackle one day. Do you ever find yourself balancing the idea of this is the film business versus ah, this is something I just really want to do and it may not be as marketable, but I've got to figure out a way to do it. The the artist in me is is screaming. Absolutely. Every, every day of my life, I don't think a day goes by where that, that, that conundrum doesn't pass through my brain because ultimately, um, you know, I, I the weird thing about having success, like the success I had with Contracted, like, you run into issues where your career uh, becomes at stake with every movie you do. So, you right. know, if I if I make a movie that does that isn't as successful as Contracted now, um, it's going to lower my profile, and people aren't going to want to hire me as much, or they may not want to make my next movie or something like that. So, every movie I do is kind of like stepping on a landmine, and I have to make sure that it doesn't blow up, you know. And that's kind of uh, that's a scary feeling, you know, because when I was making Madison County and Roadside no one was watching me. Like I kind of had free reign to do whatever I wanted and experiment and play. And, you know, even contracted for that matter, like no one, you know, people had seen Madison County, but you know, it wasn't to the point where like my agent, I didn't have an agent at the time. So I didn't have someone saying like, Hey, if this movie doesn't do as well, like you may not get hired to do another movie or something like that. So, you know, now, now there's, you know, not a big microscope cause you know, I'm, I'm not like a top A list director yet, but you know, there's, there's some, sort of uh, pressure on me and perception of what my career is and what type of movies I should be making. So, you know, if I take a risk and it pays off, then, then it looks really good. But if I take a risk and it doesn't pay off, then I look like an idiot, you know? So it, it, it definitely does kind of get scary when I get to the point where I'm like, you know what, I really just want to go make a movie or, you know, something's taking too long and I just want to be proactive. I have to weigh the pros and cons of uh, if it's not as successful and marketable, like what happens to my career after that? And that's, you know, kind of a daunting feeling when you're working in a, in a, you know, business, business that's based on, uh, you know, doing what you like. Now, Eric, I saw that, um, you actually decided not to do uh, contracted phase two. So you made this first film contracted it's released. Yeah. And now you've kind of, you just, you, you made a franchise, man. You, you went on and now you have like your Halloween, you made your first one and it's going on to live on with other filmmakers what is that like? What's that experience like? Are you enjoying the just watching it as a, an audience member or? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's not glamorous. I, I don't really, I, you know, I, I had no, no, you know, decision making ability in choosing the people who ultimately wrote and directed contracted to, um, you know, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not, I'm not bitter about it by any means. Like the, the, you know, it's a movie business and the producers did, you know, they, they looked out for themselves and their bottom line and how they can make money. And, you know, that's what producers do ultimately. And, and so, you know, for me, I, I kind of looked at it like I, I, I wanted, you know, I wanted to fight it for a long time. I mean, I think I could have had a little more control over the sequel if I would have wanted it, but you know, I, I ultimately didn't fight it because my manager told me something really brilliant, which was like, you know, this isn't going to be the first franchise that you create. And, you know, I want to believe that. It, it may be, but it's like I'm at least going to go through and make my next few movies as if, you know, one day they may want to make, you know, something else may come along. You know, you look at someone like Wes Craven who made, 
you know, Last House on the Left, and although it didn't spawn any sequels, it spawned a remake, and then Hills Have Eyes spawned remakes and sequels, and, um, you know, and then, then Nightmare on Elm Street happened, and then he even went on to, you know, to do Scream. So, you know, it's like people people have different, you know, variables and levels of success and things like that. So I think, I think for me to kind of latch on to Contracted 2 and, you know, like, I, I wish I could be supportive of it and say, hey, I really like this movie, but I don't. It's not a good movie. You, at least, you know, contracted too. Like, I, I, I can't support the movie. I can't say that I like it. I like aspects of it because, you know, my DP shot it. And, um, you know, my lead actor, Matt Mercer, came back and he's in it. And I think he's great. My makeup girl, Mayera, did uh, the effects for it. You know, you know, for me to kind of be bitter and say, ah, oh, man, you know, it sucks. And, you know, I, I hate it. And I, I, you know, I wish it was different and this and that. Like, would be me, you know, would be, I guess it would mean that I'm just like clinging to the past saying like, oh, contracted is, you know, the, the best it's ever going to get for me. So it's like, it was, it was kind of easy for me to let it go and say, you know what? I, I have bigger and better things ahead of me. I went off and did get the girl, get the girl in my opinion, it's much bigger and better film than contracted one or, or contracted two for that matter. So, you know, and it, it, it's already opened a ton of new doors. I'm, I'm working on much, much bigger projects now because of get the girl. So, you know, I, I feel like I made the right choice and, uh, you know, whatever they want to do with my creation is up to them. But ultimately, I take pride in knowing that, you know, I'm, I'm giving people work and I created something that people can make money off of. You still get uh, you still get some kind of royalties or something like that because you you're the creator, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I still own part of it. So, wow. OK. So, you, man, that is so. So you're saying that you don't like this movie and you still get royalties. That's uh, you don't see that very often. Usually, filmmakers are just like always pushing the film, regardless of they don't care if it's good or bad. Yeah, I mean that that's the idea for me is like I, I don't want to be like every other filmmaker. You know, when I was younger, I wish uh, that there was a filmmaker out there who was giving me the reality. I mean, I guess the truth is is you know the the business changed so much, especially from you know when I went to school to the time I actually started making movies, and then from the time I started making movies till now, you know, it's changed so much, but. You know, especially now that the business is changing so much with not only digital, you know, film uh, cameras and technology changing and things like that, but also distribution and, you know, marketplace and everything. Everything is changing about it. So for me, it's like I want to be as honest as I can and let filmmakers know uh, or young, you know, kids or young filmmakers or whatever. It's like I just want people to know, like, hey, this isn't the business you think it is. So, you know, don't don't come in with, you know, big expectations and this and that. It's like, be grounded. Because, you know, the truth is, is like, I, I don't know if I'm going to be the next Steven Spielberg. You know, when Steven Spielberg was my age, he made Jaws. And, um, you know, but it's like, it, it, Jaws, you know, he made a bunch of crappy movies in between Jaws and now, and he made some masterpieces in between Jaws and now. And, you know, he wasn't Steven Spielberg when he made Jaws. He was a young filmmaker. So, you know, I, I look at it as like, I don't know if I'm the next Steven Spielberg, but I hope that whoever the next Steven Spielberg is, if it's not me, hopefully they they found inspiration through me for being so honest and, you know, being as transparent as I can be and letting them know what the business was like instead of coming in and being discouraged, you know? You're just talking about you, you know, you created Contracted, uh, Contracted 2, you're not, you, you said you didn't really care for the movie. Yeah. Um, is there any part of you as the creator of that, you know, feels sort of that parent feeling of, I raised the kid, it was okay, but now it's kind of doing its own thing out there. I may not agree with it, but I want it to be happy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even though I don't like the movie, you know, I, I, I don't wish the movie, you know, ill will or anything like that. Like, even the people who made it, like, 
you know, the director and I, we chatted in the past. I, I thought we were, you know, kind of friendly, but I, I guess we're not. I don't know what his deal is. And, um, you know, the writer and I get along pretty well, actually. He's, he's a pretty nice guy. Um, but, um, you know, it's like, regardless of what I think of their work, like, I, I have many friends who are filmmakers, and I don't necessarily love their work or, you know, I, I, I don't reference their films or, you know, things like that. But, I mean, I think that's just natural, you know. It's like, especially when you're in a in a world where, you know, everyone makes movies. Like, I, I don't expect all my friends to like my movies. Like, in, in fact, I prefer when people come up to me and tell me they don't like my movies. So I don't I don't feel the need to, like, you know, pretend that they do or something, you know. Right. So, um, so, you know, it, it's like it's just a much better world when I think you're honest about it. So, I mean, there is part of me. It's like, look, Contracted 2 exists. There, there's no way I can delete it or take it away from the world. So, um you know, yeah, it's going to do what it's going to do. It's its own movie. It's its own thing. And, um, you know, if they make a, a, a contracted three, a contracted four, a contracted five, like, you know, uh, I, I hope I hope it's well. I hope it's successful because, I mean, you know, if I, I created it, then I'll, I'll be proud of it. But, you know, ultimately, I just I don't think contracted two is a good movie. So I can't support it and say, hey, go see this movie or, you know, I'm really proud that my movie spawned this sequel because I, I, I'm not. You know, if I was, I would be supportive of it. So. You know, if Contracted 3 comes out better than Contracted 2, then I'll be excited for it. And I'll be proud of it. But, you know, it, it, they, it just it's a case-by-case basis. So for me, I look at it as, like, I'm honored that people liked my movie. I'm honored that, you know, people paid money for it and it made money for people and they wanted to continue making more of them. But, um, you know, apart from that, I, I'm, I'm going to have no business in making sure that the rest of them are successful if I don't believe in them. I mean, you, usually you hear about this kind of stuff in, like, the Hollywood system. You know, some directors, but you know, they just made a movie, but it was for the studio, and then the studio runs off and makes a bunch of shitty sequels that nobody cares for. Uh, I don't remember hearing this in like the independent system that much, so I think it's interesting to let people know that it does happen. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and that's the scare. I think that's why I've been so vocal about my my lack of involvement in the movies. Like in the studio system, it's much more uh, common practice for this to happen, but. That's the thing is like it, it doesn't happen that that much on the independent level, and I just want people to be aware that it does happen. Like people will take your creations and you know do what they want with them without you, or they'll lowball you out of the process, or you know whatever they have to do. And it's unfortunate, but you know it, it's Hollywood. Welcome, welcome to the movie business. I was actually reading somewhere too that uh, you actually did a draft, and you were going to make it more uh, like Aliens. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I wrote I wrote part of a part of a screenplay and ultimately, you know, didn't finish it because the deal didn't finish. But um, yeah, I mean, my my movie was going to be bigger and and faster and you know a little more visceral and a little more action oriented, a little you know just a little you know crazier in in general. But um, you know, unfortunately, we'll we'll never see that version of Contracted Two. But I've I've actually been thinking about releasing the screenplay um, pages, at least the opening that I wrote just so people could see how different my movie was going to be from the, the sequel that got released. So I don't know. We'll see. Oh, that'd be cool. Young filmmakers starting out. Is there anything that we haven't already covered that you would even want to give them a shout out about, or just say, Hey, piece of advice for this. Stand up for, you know, your creative freedom, like make, make cool stuff. Don't try to imitate people too much and, you know, just be bold, be you and, and be smart, you know, be, be creative, but also know that it's a business. I think if you always remind yourself that, you'll you'll be just fine. Uh, dude, you, you've made a, uh, a lot of short films. Where could people see these? I, I believe most of them are on my Vimeo page, actually. Um, so, yeah, you just uh, type in Eric England Vimeo on Google and it should take you right to it. 
Well, all right, man. I think that uh, that's going to do it for us tonight. Where can people go and uh, and follow you and uh, find out more information about uh, Get the Girl? Um, you know, I have, a, I have a Facebook, Eric England, and then uh, Twitter, Eric, uh, at Eric underscore England, I think are the best places to find me. And if they want to, do you have a website up yet for Get the Girl? Or any any of that uh, stuff? No, we, no, we don't. But I'll I'll, I'll be you know I'll, I'll be dropping hints and stuff on uh, on my Twitter, so for sure, they, they they can find stuff there. All right, guys, it's just me again. We're gonna wrap up our show of tonight. Hopefully, you guys got some really good information. Uh, and like always, if you guys want to get in contact with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew. Crew is spelled C R E W E at gmail.com. Uh, we actually have our email now in the show notes. So you can go to the show notes. We'll also put uh, the Vimeo link to uh, Eric England's uh, profile page so you guys can go and, and watch his short films. Uh, I haven't had a chance yet to go see him myself, but that's what I'm doing the minute I hit stop button here. And like always, we play some of the score before we close out the show. We weren't really doing this yet when we first started the podcast. So I feel like we need to play something from Contracted. You know, we had Eric England on. Why not, right? It, it makes sense to me. Go with me here, people. From composer Kevin Ripple, track one, titled Contracted. Enjoy. <laughs>